God is our mother. God is our father. God is our our perfect parent, right? So I think there is that sense of what do we what do we look at Jesus and see? We see Jesus reaching out to children. We see Jesus reaching out to outcasts. We see Jesus crossing boundaries over and over and over again in beautiful ways. And like I mentioned before, that flattening of that hierarchy. So I think it's that the more we can understand really just God's heart of grace, that's what to me is that well. To barefoot to Emmaus. I am Byron. And I'm Char. We are glad you're with us. Um, so we're running down uh, in our time for the summer. We've done a lot of interviews so far, um, but we're, we're coming at you with one more before we move to Princeton, New Jersey. Off to the East Coast. We'll figure out what we do next week. I don't know. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple cool people in Princeton. You yeah. might get a hold of them. But uh, for now, we're, we're bringing you Emily Huff. Um, who is, sorry, Dr. Emily Huff. No, not true. <laughs> it, it, is, it is true. No. What? No. I thought you both had beards. No, I don't. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. People sometimes call me that, but it's not true. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> that's hilarious. I just thought that you had a PhD for the longest time. No. Um, shows what I You're right. <laughs> um, as usual, we've asked uh, our guest to come in with a passion of theirs. Um, so I think today we'll be talking about parenting, um, which I can attest, having lived at Emily Huff's house for a year um, and seeing the way she's been uh, so parental and phenomenal towards me, but then also uh, just over the years, seeing the way she's been such an amazing parent to her kids. I am super excited for this podcast. So, Emily, um, how, how, how about you go um, tell us a few things about yourself? Uh, sure. Introduce yourself. Sure. So, I wear a lot of hats. And I would say that um, as I list some of the hats that I wear, um, I'm a wife. I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm um, a runner most of the time. Yes. Um, I love to celebrate Mm -hmm. and um, infuse joy into small things. Um, I love to savor life. And I think that's one reason I take so many pictures. Uh, <laughs> that's, mm. If you know anything about me, you know that I <laughs> am a little bit ridiculous at the number of photos that I have around our house and on our refrigerator and on the hard drive that I had to get another hard drive. Because <laughs> um, we see the good fruit of it, though, right in front of us here. We have these tapestries of lovely pictures of the children and family. It's like a dinner place mat. 
Yeah. That's laminated. There it is. A hundred. Laminated with love. <laughs> you also write lots of notes. This mm. is true. This is true. So I, I'm a two on the Enneagram, so that might explain that being... <laughs> It, well, I'm a two with a three wing, so people who know about that, the joke is is that I'm a really good helper. Like, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but I do feel like one of my joys is to get to um, be an encourager as well, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm still, at age 48, still figuring out how to use that gift and trying to be a good steward of that and finding ways that... Um, I can come alongside people. Um, so I feel like that's something I'm going to continue to learn and try to grow into my whole life. But I do think that's something that brings me a lot of joy. Like I love doing it. It's really life-giving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think back to when I was little, I certainly had that modeled for me. My mom would leave me notes. But then when I was in high school, I was always pinning. There was this bulletin board in our high school, and I would leave tons of notes up for people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that, you yeah. know, it goes back. I've got some roots with that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I think so, one other... I, I wanted to ask you to introduce yourself so that I could then think, <laughs> fill, it, fill any gaps that, you're, that you might leave. Um, uh, one other thing I might say, you are the queen of traditions. Mm. Oh, yes. You have so yeah. many, like, <laughs> uh, wonderful traditions throughout, like, like, daily things, weekly things, monthly things, yearly things. Um, so that's another another cool thing that I'm sure will come up in terms yeah. of parenting a child who is only here for how many how many thousand weeks did you say oh my 940 oh, not something. even a thousand oh not even until the 18th birthday yeah it's mm. like something like that oh goodness i thought it was like three thousand okay yeah so byron's referring to the story that i read a few months ago that is about someone who was writing a blog post of taking their child to college which is incredibly poignant because i'm about to do that next mm. week and, but it was about imagining you had a marble for every week that you got to be with your child from when they were born to age 18. And so our daughter, Anna, is turned 18 in November, so we're over the 940-whatever mark. But anyway, when I read that article, I put two marble jars on the counter in the kitchen and had the number of marbles in it that counted for the number of weeks that we had left. And I remember talking to you, Frederick, yeah. about this. and. It was not something out of scarcity at Mm -hmm. all. It was definitely much more of like it helped me to be intentional. But I admit when I shared with the kids what it was about, because they were like, Mom, what are these jars doing on the counter? I did get a little choked up. So Mm -hmm. there's a mix. Like it's Mm -hmm. bittersweet because this has been, um, it's just been such an amazing season. Um, Yeah. It goes by fast. I mean, that's such a cliche that people say, right, as Mm -hmm. far as parenting, that the days are long, but the years are short, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So one thing I... Okay, of course I have a stack of books here. (laughs) So lots, and I'm not going to read things out of all of them, but this was really fun to pull out this morning as I was thinking about, oh, what are some things I wanted to share? And this is a book called Great With Child, and I read this when I was pregnant with Anna, so Mm. a long, long time ago. It's by a woman named Deborah Reinstra, and this is just 
this is really beautiful in how I think about parenting, especially as I look back at these 18 years. So she writes this. Our friends Mark and Karen recently bought a stone polisher for their kids. They opened the thing up, all excited about having some nifty polished stones by supper time, only to discover that the process involved several steps that took weeks. Weeks! So they had to plug the thing in somewhere in a quiet corner of the house and just let it churn round the clock. No one had ever told me this before my wedding day, but I'm beginning to understand, after 11 years, that marriage sometimes feels like climbing with another person into a stone tumbler. You keep spinning over and over half the time up in the air and half the time clattering into each other on the way down. Sometimes you want some relief from the tumbler. You start thinking you could be perfectly happy with how beautiful a stone you are without it. But if you're both willing to stay in there a long time and accept the same amount of tumbling, you get smoothed out and polished enough to reflect a light beyond yourselves. If you can laugh about all the ups and downs, it can even be fun. Oh, and here's a sobering thought. The little pebbles who wind up in the polisher with us are subject to the same tumbling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, little baby, your parents have so many faults, but Mm. we're in this together. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love that. Isn't that great? So I just, that to me is, is as I look back, Jason and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary you know, we're about to take Anna to college and it's like, absolutely, that stone tumbler is the perfect, perfect metaphor for parenting and for how, um, I really see this as the way that God is shaping us Mm -hmm. and using these things to make us more his own and to teach us how we communicate that to, to the people he's entrusted to us. Um, Another thing I would say is that our wonderful neighbor, Jamie, um, is known in this neighborhood for saying, what's the most important thing you know to kids who walk in her house? Wow. And the answer is that people know is that I'm loved, you know, (laughs) and it's like, okay, I'm loved. loved. Um, And so I remember talking to that, uh, talking about that with Anna and Taylor and saying, Yes, absolutely. The most important thing I want you to know is that you're loved. And another one that I would add to that is that and God is with you, mm. right? To have both of those together. And so I feel in like tumbler. in the tumbler, absolutely. And that sense that we are not alone and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And yet there is grace and forgiveness. And yeah, so I think there's a lot to be said about what does it look like to try to enter into this adventure journey of parenting? Um, It is one of the most humbling things I've ever done because I'm I'm just faced with my limits and you don't get to run away from it. (laughs) Totally. One of the things I love about the passage from this book that you just read to us is that it does give the whole humanity of the parent, that they're not just this role to their children, but that you are a human being in a relationship with your spouse, your life partner, and that your tumbling directly impacts your little pebbles tumbling, your children's tumbling. You know, one of the, um, what I consider to be best advice, obviously I'm not a parent yet, but (laughs) uh, one of the best parenting advice uh, that I've heard is that the best way to provide a stable household for your mm-hmm. children is to invest actually first in your marriage right. more than your children because that provides the stability for your children to then have that support. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that's been something that you've been 
intentional from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think right now I got a text from a friend who recently was giving me some encouragement in this last week. And she used the words roots and wings, mm. you know, and it is that idea of like, how do you really grow those roots um, so that you can launch your kids and they are free to go. So another thing along those lines um, is a book I read a few years ago by Kara Powell it was called Growing With. And the title in it itself is, is worth the book. Mm. Um, so there are two parts. Um, I hope you don't mind me reading a few quotes through this podcast, but that's just what you get with me. I love quotes and you all know that. Um, And some of the reason I think I do is I just, through parenting, I've leaned on wisdom of so many other people Mm. and I don't feel like I, I have to have it all figured out that this, we don't need to recreate the wheel. We can learn from other people's experiences who are a few steps ahead of us. And so... So anyway, but she wrote this book, and I'm going to just read you the bookends of the prayers that she wrote. But essentially what I thought about when I read this book was when I was a kid growing up, I don't know about the two of you, I don't think I had the wherewithal to look at my parents and recognize they were on their own journey. Right? right? (laughs) At all. You're just in, and developmentally that makes sense. That is where you are. It's a bit more narcissistic um, and just kind of you're in your own world. So this was really great. She um, writes this, a prayer as you begin your growing with journey. And this was her, like I said, the title of the book was Growing With. But she says, Jesus, our kids are growing up and we're growing older. These truths weigh heavily on us, some days more than others. There are moments when it feels like we're growing together and other times when we fear we're growing apart. By your grace, please grant us faith to trust you with our kids, as well as courage to grow with them through our parenting. Spark in us a more expansive vision for this journey, a vision not only about who they might become, but also about who we might become. So I think that has been really powerful to recognize that God is, as I mentioned before, God is shaping us as we are doing this work of stewarding these kids, um, the gift of them. Um, and then she closes, I'll close with this one, um, just this part right here of the way she ends the book with this bookend prayer. But she says, we thank you that in the midst of our ups and downs of parenting, we can place our hope in you. We're grateful for how you use parenting to prune us and shape us more and more into your image. Please help us abide in you that we might bear great fruit in our families and in our world. Thank you that you love our kids even more than we do. Thank you that you want the very best for them and for us. Please help us rest in your powerful grace that continues to transform us all. I think that has also been really helpful for me is just that whole idea that um, we're all on a journey and um, that, yeah, just that God is with us in each of our parts in this journey. Um, And there's not so much a hierarchy in that, right? I think sometimes we think of families as this hierarchical thing. It's like, no, we're all growing. <laughs> we're all learning. And that sense of um, how much I learn from my kids, too. So mm. I think that's a powerful thing as well. Mm. It's not just I'm teaching them as someone who is a teacher and finds great joy in that. Um, but it's like, oh, no, no, no. Um, you know, I am always learning. And yeah. that's, that's one of the biggest things that I value and want to continue to you know, live into as I parent. Um, and you know, my parents now are 
um, my mom's 75, my dad will be 75 in October. They're still parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you're never done. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I get to check off my, the box as we drop her off, you know, off at college next week. So mm-hmm. it's that recognition that it is a lifelong calling um, mm-hmm. and one that um, we are, we're, we're in it and can recognize that we have a place to go to ask for help because we don't always have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. I hear in your story there's the passion and energy for this call and also the humility to listen to other voices, which I think is so powerful. And um, I love that you have been growing from your kids as well. I think that's something that is true for all parents, but maybe uh, is hard to always admit, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a sense that, oh, I need to be the parent. Mm-hmm. In reality, we're all tumbling in this tumbler together, right. you know? Right. Um, and so I'm curious what that journey's been like for you and maybe what are some things that you've learned from this process and from your kids? Sure. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so I will say one of the biggest markers that I think of in this parenting journey is when Anna was five and a half and we had a chance to go to Kenya for the summer. So it was... Um, my mom came with me and Anna, and we were with a team, and we were up in this village called Lodwar. And I'd been there when I was in college, so it was a, a really um, significant place for me. I had built relationships over a number of years and been involved there in some work. And um, a dear woman and friend named Mary was praying with me at one point and praying that God would speak to Anna in a place that meant so much to me. And I just thought, well, that was... That was those were kind words, but I didn't know quite how beautifully God was going to answer that prayer. Mm-hmm. A few days later, we went up to this place called Prayer Mountain, and this was a place set aside in this town. Um, a, a man named Bishop Colling had started this years and years ago um, as a designated place for prayer, and not just for his denomination, but for people from all over the community to come and pray for that village. And so I remember I had been there when I was in my early twenties, and in my late 20s and and then also um now getting to go with my daughter and so she was not reading yet she could read some words but was not um a fluent reader and the idea was we went up with a group early in the morning before sunrise and we um had the chance to all pray together briefly and then everyone went off on their own for kind of a a quiet time and then to come back and pray And I remember thinking, good luck, Anna. You know, there she is in her her little jean skirt and her t-shirt. And she had her puppy. And then she had the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is by Sally Lloyd-Jones, illustrated by Jago. It is is one of the most beautiful um, children's Bibles I know because... The art speaks just as much as the words, mm. and it's, it doesn't feel like it's it's um, cartoonish yeah. in a way that diminishes the story. Um, anyway, were there so, other kids her age there? No, no, not so at she, all. <laughs> She's the only little That's little wild. person. <laughs> yeah, and so um, you know, it's really early in the morning. She's off on her own, sitting, you know, stroking her puppy you know, petting her little stuffed animal puppy and um, flipping through this book. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm over in another spot and I'm just praying that God would speak to her in a fresh way. Um, And I come over after about half an hour and I just said, hey, you know, did anything stand out to you? And very deliberately, 
she's trying to find this page and it's taking her a little while. But then she gets to this page and it's a picture of a little girl and um, a father. And it, the image is that the little girl is running towards the father. And the mm -hmm. father has open arms and smile just as wide as you can imagine. And she has these big rosy cheeks. Um, and Anna said to me, mom, this is me pointing to the little girl. And she points to the father figure and she said, and this is God. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm running to God and not away from him. And I think at that point I just lost it. I was like, well, if this is not the most beautiful answer to prayer, please speak to her in a fresh way. Yeah. I don't know what is. Now again, that is language that you'll find in that Bible and we've read that for a while before. But what was so profound to me was that's what it means for us to be in relationship with God. And what I learned from her as um, probably one of my most important parenting mantras of like a, maybe not a mantra but like an image that has shaped my parenting mm -hmm. is that picture mm -hmm. partly because I recognize that um, I'm that little girl too and I'm running to God and we always have a choice we have a choice in relationships um, to always be turning towards or turning away from each other mm -hmm. so I think about that in terms okay. of parenting both of them in times where there have just been different challenges yeah. um, and I think about just with heightened emotions there is this sense that sometimes our um, our gut is when a child is difficult mm -hmm. that you just want some space it's like I don't want to deal with this however a lot of times when that is happening when a child is struggling some of those heightened emotions are a sign that we need to draw near, mm -hmm. not to pull away. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. It's yeah. not a natural response always because it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? But I was even having a conversation with Anna the other night. I felt like we had kind of missed on something in a conversation. And I came up and I just said, I am so sorry. I um, feel like, you know, the way that I said this didn't come out the way that I wanted. If I could wave a magic wand, I'd do it differently. Could I have a do-over, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think what was powerful was just this conversation saying like, this is what relationships are. Like even in this, I wanna make sure you see like I am turning towards you. Even though there was a misunderstanding, it's like I'm not, I'm not gonna put up armor mm -hmm. and like turn away. And so I think that's one of the biggest things. I feel like that has been such an image for us and our family. I keep it in our kitchen. You've mm -hmm. seen that, Byron. You've given me a little framed version of it that yes. I keep on my, on my icon altar. Yes, and so it is one that has been really, really powerful for me. Just in thinking about like my relationship as a parent, my relationship as a daughter, my relationship, like all the hats I was telling you that I'm wearing mm -hmm. as a teacher, as a wife, as all the things that this is my choice. I always have a choice to turn back towards others and back towards God. And that sense to remember that God's the one who already is running towards me mm. with his arms open wide. It is his grace. Not, it's not me that's like, I'm going to, I'm going to muster up the strength to run. It's like, no, it's already an invitation. Mm. So I, I guess I mean, that's one of the biggest things mm -hmm. I would think about of like how I've learned from my kids. And, and you know, that became something I remember when Taylor was little um, and there were times where I just remember one temper tantrum in particular that blew up 
And it was the most tender thing because when he had calmed down, um, he said, he pointed, I think I had this on my keychain at the time or something where it was right there with me. And he pointed to that and he said, that's, that's what I want. You know, like mm. just knowing that he too understood that sense of turning and that softening. So it's been a profound Ooh. picture, you know, yeah. of like, that it was Anna's thing, it was hers. Mm -hmm. But then I almost feel like, but God gave that to Anna so I could learn from that too. Mm -hmm. And for that to be one of the most profound pictures of grace, of what I want, that um, posture. I guess that's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, and and recognizing that, that there's that sense of being able to um, grow together, that growing with, that sense that we're we can help each other also run to God. Like, could you grab my hand? Could you take me there? Like, I'm having trouble. I can be the one to lead them to that, you know, place where we know um, that great mystery, you know, but also I can recognize that they can lead me there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to see that destination, if we can even call it that, mm -hmm. as being ideal, that we, that we should be turning and, and running in that direction but sometimes finding the energy and strength to do mm -hmm. so can be really challenging yeah. Um, yeah. and I think anyone who knows you knows that you have uh, an unparalleled amount of passion and joy and energy to love people mm -hmm. you know that's that's um, it's uncanny and I want to know uh, where do you feel like that strength and energy comes from how do you keep that well mm -hmm. filling up even when it starts to feel dry Hmm. Good question. Um, you know, I think some of it is that deep, deep sense um, that I know that I know that I know that that God is with me, right? So there is that. It doesn't mean that things are always going well, um, but I think there's that um, there's that anchoring. I think that I am so grateful for, that I um, feel like I've been able to um, continue and partly because I just have learned to not compartmentalize things quite as mm. much. So I think it's easy um, as a young, um, a young person just coming into a place of embracing faith to think like, okay, I need this time and I'm gonna set aside this time. There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like as I've grown, it's that sense of being able to recognize like all of my life is a chance to look for the holy and mm. to see it as an offering. Um, there was this one story that was really profound a couple of years ago um, that I read. And it was really powerful to me because it was about a dancer. And Anna was a dancer mm. all through um, elementary, middle, and high school. And so it was a story about a woman who was at a studio very similar to Anna's. And um, she saw that her teacher wasn't there at some dress rehearsal right when it was starting. And she thought, this is strange because she was very punctual and strict. And she leaned around the corner and she saw her teacher like in the um, corner of the room, not wanting to be seen by anyone, but she was on her knees and she was praying. Mm -hmm. And it hit this person who was writing it. Like in that moment, she realized like, oh, even this even a dress rehearsal where they were dressed up like, I don't even know, like little sheep or something. I mean, you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't, we're not talking Swan Lake here, sure, sure. you know, 
But it was something where even that, that is an offering. So even those spaces where we can recognize like ways that we can learn to invite God into those spaces, knowing he's already there, but, but asking for um, simply open my eyes and my ears so I don't miss what you have for yeah. me today. Um, I'm much more of a, um, I, I'm more of a verbal processor. So my growth edge is to learn to listen more, you yeah. know, and to make sure that I am like asking for ears and a discerning heart. And so I don't know if that's answering your question. It's a little bit of a roundabout way of saying, I just think I try my very best to kind of be talking to God all the time mm -hmm. and um, not having it just be like this set apart yeah. you know, time, but um, recognizing that um, we can more and more see ways that God is inviting us into all sorts of um, spaces where we can um, we can see more of who he is, yeah. you know. I want to open this up more to what I would consider this umbrella theme of holy parenting mm. that I hear in your story. You mean, uh... Do we have spiritual parenting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a stack of books. Here's yeah. one. Here's a title. Um, I think if I'm allowed to read into your story a little bit, that um, the ability to have that draw and desire to be close to God as you see yourself as that little girl running to a father, that that image for you is a beautiful one. Mm. And that's not the case for everyone, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. the image of God either in the patriarchal sense as father yeah. or even as parent Absolutely. you know that that can come with baggage mm -hmm. of abuse or neglect or Absolutely. you know any any sort of thing and I, I think about in scripture how in this uh, Genesis beginning story we have um, this command to um, be prosperous be fruitful and, and multiply and then as it comes to uh, you know, this whole history of uh, like fall and struggle and in the redemption, uh, Jesus flips a lot of things on its head. And one of it is the reorientation of that sense of be fruitful and multiply, be about uh, spreading a kind of relationship. It's, it's go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the interpretation or change of that message in many ways. Like Byron has this good example that um, you're parent might tell you to do the dishes, but that isn't a perpetual, eternal command to always be doing the dishes. It's like, no, once the dishes are done, you know, things change and the reality mm -hmm. of our world, our timeline is that things do change. Mm -hmm. And now there seems to be a lot of nuance to this question of what does it even mean to be a parent? Mm -hmm. You know, I hear a lot of this sense of caring for people who are marginalized, in particular, like the orphans and, and widows, the people who at that time um, would have been uh, not met by societal um, providence, that they would have been left on the outside, or, or lepers, or people who are considered sinners, like tax collectors. You know, there, there's a lot of, like, the outskirts. Um, and so here, I'm, I'm just blowing up this question of holy parenting. Like, 
what does it mean to have a posture of parenting, mm-hmm. to redeem parenting, especially mm-hmm. to people who haven't had that positive image? I'm so glad you brought that up because certainly it's one that Jason and I are not perfect. My parents were not perfect. Jason's parents were not perfect. So it's not like we're trying to be, um, you know, to live into what was modeled for us even. I hope that Anna and Taylor will not just think, well, that's how it, you know, um, how it should be. Um, that was it. That was the peak. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. You're done good. So, so I think there's that sense that for all of us, this calling that, God is desiring restoration and wants us to be well and whole. And so for people to, I'm so glad you said that in terms of some people's picture of looking at an image like that would be incredibly painful. Um, They have not had someone who has had an open armed embrace or it's not been safe or there's been, you know, all the things that we can think about in terms of, the brokenness of our world in relationships um, and the scarring that can happen. Mm -hmm. So I think what we want to do is not look to the people who have been those figures in our lives, but to recognize God is our mother. God is our father. God is our, our perfect parent, right? So I think there is that sense of, what do we what do we look at Jesus and see? We see Jesus reaching out to children. We see Jesus reaching out to outcasts. We see Jesus crossing boundaries over and over and over again in beautiful ways. And like I mentioned before, that flattening of that hierarchy. So I think it's that the more we can understand really just God's heart of grace, that's what to me is that well that we need. Um, I don't think I'm really answering the depth of your question because it's so rich and um, there's a lot of wisdom in even you asking that question. Um, But coming back to, I'll I'll shift it just a little bit. I was thinking about, um, just when you mentioned the words holy parenting, I was Mm -hmm. thinking about, one of my favorite books is this prayer um, book called Every Moment Holy. And there's liturgy in it for all sorts of things. There's morning, midday, evening prayer, sure, things like that. But then there's um, a prayer for, um, well, this one, a liturgy for changing diapers, you know? And then there's one for um, a liturgy for the loss of electricity. I mean, there's just all sorts of Mm -hmm. things that you wouldn't imagine. Wonder Um, and mundane. Yeah, exactly. Um, But just kind of that sense of how do we practice the presence of God. But this one line in this about changing diapers, like, mm. come on, mm. like this is not something we think of as necessarily holy work. It's yeah. just stuff that has to get done, right? But this, the last line is pretty amazing. Um, it says, um, well, I'll read the last two little parts here. It says, so take this unremarkable act of necessity I'm sorry, of necessary service, Christ, and in your economy, let it be multiplied into that greater outworking of worship and faith, a true investment in the incremental advance of your kingdom across generations. No one thinks about this when you're changing a diaper, right? (laughs) But then listen to this line. This is good too. It says, open my eyes that I might set this act for what it is. From the fixed vantage of eternity, Lord, how the changing of a diaper might sit upstream of the changing of a heart, mm. how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. And that to me 
that's holy parenting, right? It's just the little things. Mm -hmm. So you're mentioning like the little things in terms of the traditions. I mean, there's a reason. I'm not just like a traditional person. There's a lot of intention behind the things that I've thought about doing. But it is that how do I help kids, specifically the two that have been given to me, how do I help them feel seen and heard? Those are some of my biggest goals. Another thing I think in terms of it is like, what do you want to see walking out the door? That like, as a teacher, Uh this idea of backwards planning Mm. of like, look at this. And then kind of back it up. What do you need to do to get there? (laughs) Like a reverse engineering. Yes, yes. And so some examples. Um, When they were really little, I thought, oh, this would be really fun not just to have a celebration on a birthday. Like, I love birthdays. But Anna's born on November 13th, so every 13th we do something just to celebrate. Now, it's not big. It's not like we go to Disney World every 13th. But it's, you know, I remember one time when Anna was little, like, Jason went and just played like her dolls with her for a little bit. You know, it was, sometimes it's just that set apart time. Um, for this month, we were all we were driving somewhere on the thirteenth of August a couple days ago, so we're gonna go to Pike Place tomorrow and get peaches because that's something she wants to do. You know, just as like a thing. So ways to try to just set apart time. I think yeah. um, that's been a powerful thing. I think other things that you know, as far as. Byron knows this really well as sitting around our table a number of nights that we um, do roses and thorns around the table. And that might just seem like, oh yeah, a lot of people do that. You know, um, when President Obama was at the White House, that was known that he did that with his family. And it's a wonderful tradition. People do it at camps and kind of the highs and lows. But ours um, really came out of a book that I read called Sleeping with Bread. Hmm. And it was a book about the examine. Um, and what it was saying was this idea about kids in World War II. I might get the story a little wrong, but it was this idea of these kids who had been orphaned and they were so scared and traumatized and they couldn't sleep. And somebody had the idea of what if we just put a loaf of bread by their bedside and then they slept. Mm-hmm. So it was this sense of like this was life giving and it was there. Mm-hmm. and there was security. And the idea of the examine is that what I love about it is that it invites us to look for those things that are life-giving, but also to name the places that are that are really challenging and that are really hard and not and to shed allow God's light to be in both of those places. Um, and to just be able to sit in darkness sometimes together. So to normalize being able to talk about the things that are really life-giving and the things that are really painful. So that's another thing that we would do really regularly. Um, Even so much so that we had some folks over for dinner back in the winter, and we hadn't had them over for a number of years. And they were like, oh, are we going to do roses and thorns? You know, like things like that, where it's like, oh, gosh, yes, I guess we (laughs) have done this for a while. And I recognize sometimes these things can feel, okay, you know, are we, you you know, contrived or something. But, But I think just that point of making space for people and creating some ways to celebrate people Mm -hmm. um doesn't have to be a big deal but but again that sense of what i love about this is like what does that look like that what is sitting upstream Mm -hmm. you know in terms of like this might sit upstream of a changing of the heart and this Mm -hmm. might sit upstream to a changing of the world like as we are a part of um nourishing Mm -hmm. these people who have been given to us 
um, what does that look like? So I don't know. Those are some other things just to try to tie in some of the um, the daily kind of practices, if you will, that are not rocket science. Like they're yeah. not, it's not anything fancy. A lot of people do them. But I think probably one strength that I do have is consistency. That's probably Ooh. one thing that I yeah. um, really, if there's something that we stick to, I, I try to really follow through and there's some things that fall by the wayside you know you recognize oh we did this for a while and then that season passes and it's okay so it's not to say like traditions you have to have them no matter what but they have been really helpful to me as far as ways to have markers through the year Mm -hmm. and I think that's also goes into what why liturgy is so powerful is um it's it's something that we can um it's there when, when we don't have words. Mm. So kind of having these markers are there to remind us of these stories over and over again. So for instance, again, Byron, you were with us around the table yeah. at Lent when we would have a, oh, yeah. a little crown of thorns, which is simply just a little, um, I guess, a, you know, a, a little twig. Yeah, I was like, how would you describe that as what you get at the craft store? But any kind of wreath. And we just would have this tradition of... Um, having toothpicks on the table, and it was just a practice of learning to say sorry. So if there was mm. something that someone did, you could put a toothpick in the wreath, um, and you could either say that out loud or just have that you know, quiet in your heart. Um, and I remember when we first tried it, the kids were really little. I think Taylor was four, three or four, and Anna was you know, five or six. And um, I presented the idea, and then it was really quiet, and I thought, well, this kind of went over like a ton of bricks. And about five minutes later... Taylor said to Anna, I'm really sorry I didn't share with you today, you know, and or, or something along the lines of I wasn't very nice to you at the bus stop. And I thought, oh my goodness, because how many times as a parent have I forced an apology? They're not helpful, but I've done it. <laughs> and this was not, you know. So my point was something like that, is that they have done that since they were little. We bring it out every year. Mm-hmm. And that practice of knowing like we get to practice every right. year saying sorry to God and to each other. And then the beautiful part is on Easter. Here's the awesome... um, Spoilers. Yeah, here it is. (laughs) Is that you get to put flowers on it. So you wake Mm. up and this crown of thorns turns into this crown crown of glory. So, you know, things like that where you can have traditions and things that just speak the stories of what we need to hear, Mm. that I need to hear again and again. I need to hear the message of grace again and again. Um, so, you know, things like that, I think also have been helpful when you're talking about like, what does this look like? And again, I don't do this perfectly. I I love the way that, you know, this, the, it's the stone tumbler. Hmm. Um, you know, people may look in and think like, oh, there's this, you know, they've got it all together. It's like, oh no, no, no. Byron lived here. He knows there's, there's, there's a lot of dust. Sure. There's dust. There's stuff that we've got to clean up. There's. There's stuff that, you know, we're all working on and we're, we're all a work in progress. And, so. and there's so much that is just beyond control mm-hmm. in, in a way. I don't know. Nature, nurture, you have, you have a phenomenal combination of, of little humans who have phenomenal nature. Just, I think they would have grown up like very polite and inspired and whatever pretty much with anyone and then the nurture that, mm-hmm. that you've given I I don't know I look at maybe some of my siblings or some of you know I worked with a lot of kids and so I'm curious not throwing anyone under the bus by any <laughs> means but but I'm curious like 
the, the daunting task of like, mm-hmm. what do you do when it doesn't work? Oh yeah. Or I, yeah. Um, and my questions are nowhere near as succinct or I think profound as, as charts, but um, mm. I, I tend to ask a question that's like building some mm-hmm. situation and then just add a question mark at the end. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I was hearing that I wanted to uh, call out as like a treasure that you were saying, I, I heard a long time ago this idea of, in terms of roses and thorns, highs and lows, um, that you need to be able to, when they're, when they're really little, mm-hmm. to ask like, what are the big things that happened to you today? Mm-hmm. Or even, what are the little things that happened to you today? And listen to those, not because, yeah. like, even if they're little, because otherwise, when you're surprised five years, ten years down the line that they're not sharing the big things with you, it's, it's, that only happens when they have shared the little things with you because... And felt safe doing so. Because they and were the big things the yeah. whole time. Absolutely. Right, when... when yeah. Um, when Tommy knocked over my blocks, like mm-hmm. that was huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just that sense of not minimizing mm-hmm. anything, yeah. but really listening mm-hmm. and making sure, like I said, that whole thing of feeling seen and heard. Like I, I have, that has been a, a really important um, mantra for me yeah. of like, is a good litmus test. Right. Are they feeling that way? Right. right? And um, one of the things that I've learned as a, as a youth group leader particularly, is that they're... So the, the direction of the question that I'm getting at is, is what is the bigger community of, mm-hmm. of parenting? Yeah. Um, because I have said things to teenagers that I know their parents have been saying to them for years. Absolutely. And all of a sudden it clicks because someone who is not their parent mm-hmm. is finally mm-hmm. saying it. Almost like more resistance to hearing a certain message right. from a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the familiarity, maybe because because mm-hmm. potentially of the Hard of the omnipresence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm curious how you relate to that. How do you, how do you depend on others for parenting? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So, probably the first thing that pops in my mind is. Um, just a couple of other traditions that we've done that really highlight the importance of community. So when Anna turned 13, I was kind of bummed that we weren't Jewish because I was like, I really love, <laughs> you know, I was like, they have this amazing, you know, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, you know, kind yeah. of tradition. And, and I was like, we just don't have anything. There are these markers, you turn 13 and okay, you can get your ears pierced if that's a tradition <laughs> in your family. I mean, you know, whatever it is, or these things that are just not as um, as beautifully significant. Mm. So I had um, someone that modeled this for me. When I was young mom, Anna was had to be just a year or so, there was someone in, in our church who hosted a crossing for their son when he turned 13. And what they did was they had um, a number of things. They had a whole year where they read certain books together. They did, um, they read, um, and she told me what some of them were, but just having significant conversations. But they had a weekend with certain family members where they got to do an adventure together. There was a service project component. There were letters written, you know, speaking into this child's mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And then they had a service and they invited us all to it. I mean, it was like a small wedding. It was so cool. I knew I was not going to pull that off. But I thought, but well, we can ask friends 
and family to spend some time with Anna who are not me because of exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I knew that there were people in my life growing up that were able to say things that mm-hmm. my mom and dad had said before, but I didn't <laughs> hear it, you know? But I also knew it's, um, it is not up to me to be the one to impart all of the wisdom. Right. And so that took a lot of pressure off, but it was also such a joy to be like, she's ours. So mm-hmm. that was a beautiful thing. So I'm going to come back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. I have another story about this hours. But anyway, I think that it was just so wonderful to have people spend time with her. Like that was my favorite part. The letters are great. We have this notebook. We actually still go back and read them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a gathering where people came and they read letters to her and we had people like we created this crown for her mm-hmm. and they put little flowers in when they read her a letter and it was she was like at age 13 she was just able to soak it up now when taylor turned 13 right. he didn't want to have that same kind of thing but what sure. we did is we I'm had glad you asked him <laughs> yeah 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 he was like mm, no thanks didn't want that same kind of focus but we still asked, could we have people write letters? Mm-hmm. And he ended up going on a trip with my parents in the Smoky Mountains. Mm-hmm. So we sent all the letters with my parents. And we I said, could you that. read these to him at different... Stuff. Yeah, yeah, he sent one. Could you give read these at different times? And that fit him. So again, trying mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. ways. But the point was of like this beloved community who was coming around our kids mm-hmm. and us, you know, to say... This is a new season and marking that. So I think that has been a really significant thing. But the when I mentioned that 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 idea of like Anna being ours, this collective, it reminds me of a pretty powerful story. One of one of the most profound, I think, moments in community in parenting. Um, you know our dear friends Bill and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So their son Liam is also our godson, and Taylor and Liam have been buddies since they were little. But they went through a little rocky patch in middle school, and there was a time where um, they didn't always see eye to eye. Hmm. And there was one time where there had been some, um, just some, um, some miscommunication and some hurt words hmm. back and forth. Um, but I felt like it was mostly, um, as they both look back to. They're like, "What were we thinking?" Like they're so great now; they can talk about that and say. Hmm. Wow, and Taylor has even named that some of some of the um, ways that he um, treated Liam were just because he was insecure, and that's kind of classic middle school. So I'm yeah. only saying that I feel permission because he has said that. I'm not, you know, projecting. I feel like this is fair to share. <laughs> but what happened the next morning was I went for a run with Elizabeth, and I remember thinking. Oh, this is so hard. I felt so responsible that my child had hurt her child. And not only just like any kid, but like he was our godson. You know, so it really felt messy. And Elizabeth is one of my dearest friends. And there was just such a freedom of recognizing that in that moment, Taylor felt a little like a porcupine. He was a little hard to hug. You know, there were just some prickly points just in that interaction. But it was this beautiful image of this isn't all on me and that she was so gracious. Mm-hmm. But then what happened is that at the next, um, we were, we were at, um, church and we were with two other couples, um, sharing this story. And I remember just feeling just the angst of like, Oh, this, you know, the responsibility, mm-hmm. um, of just the hurt that had happened. 
And um, it was so beautiful because everyone around the table really was able to say, and these are people that we've been in a small group with for years and mm-hmm. years, and so there's been a lot of shared time and um, investment in each other's families. But what I loved about it was that there was this sense of them able to say to me, this is not your problem. Mm-hmm. He is ours. And one um, friend, Dave in particular, just kind of gave me the sense of like, we're in this for the long haul and we have the long view and this is a blip. And now I can look at that years later. It is a blip. It really was not that it, it's not as big um, now, of course, as it felt then. But that sense that I just remember leaving that table feeling like I was just on holy ground because maybe for the first time I realized when something went wrong, it wasn't my fault or even Taylor's problem. It's like, no, we're all in this together and we're going to walk alongside each other and it's going to be messy and there will be fighting and there will be things where people don't always get along. But that sense that we're not going anywhere, we're here for the long haul, Um, we've chosen to stay in this space, in this community, um, partly because of that, of wanting our kids to be around people that know them and love them and see them for the long view. Not just for the awesome things that they do or the things that the mistakes they make, but like all of it and that we love you, all of you, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's super profound because uh, we, you know, it's easy to look at our decisions, our actions, our mistakes and point at ourselves, but the reality is that it affects our entire community. It permeates everyone in our lives. And so if we take a collective approach of responsibility to that, yeah. You know, there can still be individual accountability in what one's own role was, but then right. the reality is, rather than looking for justice of how do we right this wrong, it's how do we find healing? Absolutely. You know, in yeah. the midst of where there may have been some brokenness. Right. And I'm glad you named that because that's what I kind of left out of the story of there was a really sweet kind of reconciliation, but that was the point of like the well and whole. What does that look like in a community yeah. when there are those rough edges, the rock tumbler, right? Yeah. We're bumping up against each other. It's not going to always be perfect. And there will be ways that we, um, we hurt one another. And so it's that sense of, uh, you know, having a place to go, having a, a space where we know that we can um, bring our full selves, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and receive forgiveness, grace, yeah. healing. Yeah. We live in such an individualistic society, and so to lean into the strengths of a collective mentality to recognize it's like, your children are your own, and there is something significant to that that I'll get to in a second, but they're also... The whole communities and right. and they're their own and they are gods and they're different mm-hmm. aspects to this village mentality that I think is really profound mm-hmm. and um, I think there there can be a fear around letting go of your children mm-hmm. when the reality is you should be preparing them to be right. adults on their own you know that right. you don't want to create this dependency you want them to develop themselves and one of the main ways that you can do that is to empower them to have other voices yes. who are also yeah. feeding and fueling them. But one strength to individualism that I will say, um, I think there is something really special and intimate about exclusivity and love. Mm, you know, whether it right. be like the person that you marry if it's in a monogamous relationship or like your mm-hmm. children that like you are yeah. their, their parent. Right. And there's something about that that mm-hmm. like I know with my parents, I, I can look to them and be like, 
they have a distinct kind of love yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always perfect, you know, but um, I see that and it's so beautiful to know that I always have them right. in that way. And uh, going back scripturally for a second, this is um, the reason that I think that God chose the people Israel, mm. is that there's something really profound about an exclusivity of saying, you are my people, and then God was able to open that up mm-hmm. universally so that it doesn't water down or diminish that love, but it recognizes the potency of that exclusivity and then expands that universally. Do you remember The Little Prince where he talks about this with the rose? Do you all know that story? I do know the story. Remind me. I'm so essentially, precise. The Little Prince is off on this planet mm-hmm. and there's this, one, there's one rose where it's the sense of um, you are special because you're mine. You mm-hmm. know, but it is... Um, I wish I could redo the good, you know, the the full version of it. But it is that sense of when we do invest, there is something about what we pour into it, and um, and we also are limited. We can't do that with everyone, yeah. and so we do need to think about carefully how we are intentional and how we can um, be wise, you know, with our time and our investments. But um, yeah, look up the Little Prince Rose quote at some point, but that's the same idea, you know, of just um, that it is it is so precious because of how much the Little Prince watered it and took care of it mm. and nurtured it. Oh, no. Yeah. And, 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 and fretted over it in, yes. in some way. exactly. Um, yeah. She was a little vain, too. Yes, she was. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> there was something, but both of you were talking about something that made me think of this next question um, particularly Emily, the way that you you offer things to your children, but you, and but you identify them as full people by themselves, mm-hmm. um, and and Frederick, the way you you talked about it, it's a like you you can't you can't have them to yourselves mm-hmm. and and have this dependency where they're not ready to go do other things. Um, and I'm curious about the existential dread of, of parenting in terms of, I mean, we're millennials, they're, they're Gen Z, there's a lot of like our own existential dread of the right. world that we're about to head into. You know, millennials are at a point where a lot of us are like, we don't want kids because we cannot, in good conscience, send them out into this, this world. world. Sure. And um, I still want kids. <laughs> But I think, I don't know, as a pastor, maybe I'll just be taking care of other people's kids. Um, I, I am curious how, like, even just send it, send, sending a kid to school, like, you have no idea and no control over some random thing that could happen that could be traumatizing, Absolutely. disastrous. Right. Um, not to mention at all just, like, sending them into a big, wide world. Mm-hmm. How, what, how, how do... How do you deal with the existential dread? Yeah. Oh, wow. Not to be too heavy in the morning. No, but it is. It's so good. Um, I I think that um, one of the things that we were talking about last night, um, Jason and I just took Anna out to dinner. Mm -hmm. It's like our, just the the time with the three of us. Um, And he gave her this beautiful book um, written. It's an anthology of essays written by women about climate change. And mm. Anna wants to major in environmental analysis. But what's powerful... How did I not know this? Yeah. And so what's powerful Whoa. to me is that what I've seen is that um, 
thinking about existential dread. Um, quite frankly, like Anna feels it. Yeah. Um, we talked about the book, not the book, the movie Nomadland. Right. And I think there's a lot we could say about that movie, but when Anna watched it, one of the things that struck her so much was just the beauty of the world and the vast expanse of space that you see so much in the imagery in that movie. And for her, it was just tragic thinking about how we are not taking care of it, is that she cares so deeply. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, <laughs> you know. Um, but I mean, I hear that. There's this sense of like, it, you know, I know people who are saying, like, it's irresponsible. We cannot bring people into a world that is so um, full of such brokenness. Mm-hmm. You name it, you know. So I don't really have an answer to that other than how do we try to bring these children up in ways that, like, what are they meant to be? What part of God's breath are they meant to be? Mm-hmm. Um I was recently in the office with Jeff Cuse at SPU, and he I was talking to him about a number of things, and he asked me two questions before I left his office. And he said, what is your biggest hope, and what is your burden? Mm-hmm. I was like, those are profound, you know? <laughs> and I won't go into what I said right now, because it would take a little too long, but I think essentially just that beauty of recognizing that there's a burden we do feel that existential dread. There is the like, this world is such a mess. You open up the news any day and it can just spin you out. But what is our hope in the midst of that? So I think it's having your eyes in both places. Because if you're all on one, it can be a you know optimism that is not grounded. But if you're in the other, it can be um, you know a pessimism that also is not looking beyond just the darkness that you see. So an aspect of Byron's question that I want to riff off of is um, beyond the existential, I think that there's a real question of respect and trust Mm -hmm. in your kids to be able to make their own decisions and that you are engaging with them as fully functioning people. Like, yes, you know, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet when they're younger, you know, uh, they are going to make a lot of mistakes that perhaps you wouldn't if you were in their place now, having made those mistakes already. Right. Um, But there is a certain uh, need to let them make their own mistakes. And sometimes the risks can seem really big. Like, you know, just thinking about that fight that you described that in that moment, it seemed really big for you. Sure. How much easier would it be if you could just wave your magic wand and keep the peace all the time? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, how do you really respect and trust your kids to be able to make their own mistakes and be fully functioning humans who are figuring themselves out in this world? Okay, so I um, have one thing I'm going to read. It's right here. (laughs) And so um, I took a class with some neighbors a few years ago with Tina Sellers. Oh, yeah. I love her. Tina is incredibly wise has been such a great guide to us in our own marriage Um, but this class was on um, really thinking about as our kids were jumping into the teenage years thinking about how do we rethink sexuality and having conversations around that so that's what the class was we read a ton of books we had a lot of homework and her assignment to us was to write a parenting like manifesto Mm -hmm. and you see those all around Brene Brown has a beautiful one um, Mm -hmm. that I I read and appreciated 
But what I remember doing was pulling together all my notes from class and I wrote this out. So this is certainly more of my aspiration. I don't nail this at all. But that's the idea of like, what do you want to see walking out the door? You know? And so this is the Emily Huff manifesto? This is the Emily Huff all manifesto. Right. And, and to be fair, in this, I mentioned a conversation that I had with Anna the other night um, where we were just talking through a conversation I wanted to redo. And I said, hey, I don't know if I've ever read this to you. So I wanted, I shared this with her. She's seen it. I mean, I have this literally on our desk. It's on my desk upstairs. So she may have read it herself, but I never read it to her. And so again, we wrote this a few years back. I, I wrote it a few years back. Um, in some ways it's like, it's almost like vows, hmm. which you'd make vows as um, partners in a wedding ceremony. But often, um, and there can be vows in a baptism, right, mm -hmm. that parents make. But these were, these were another way to push some of those. So this answers a little bit of, of your question um, of things that I think I really hold um, in high regard. Okay, so this is what I wrote. Trusting that the grace, power, and love of God will help us. We promise to. Listen to you so you will feel seen, heard, and understood. Create a safe place for you to discover who you are so you'll find space to be happy, healthy, and whole. Help to expand your imagination as you consider your belonging, purpose, and identity in this world. Give you boundaries so you'll know we have high expectations for you along with high regard. Serve you in love so you will know you are cherished and so you'll have the capacity to treat others as beloved forgive you and receive forgiveness from you so that we will cultivate love, acceptance, and grace together. Embrace the mystery of your uniqueness so you will know that you are beautiful, beloved, and enough. Set you free so you can be in relationships marked by responsibility, respect, mutuality, connection, and joy. With gratitude every day for the gift of you. Work in progress, but that is what I wrote. Um, when, when did you write this? Few years ago. Mm, let's see, probably three, four years ago. Okay, because it, it sounds it sounds very like modern. Yeah, it doesn't sound eighteen years old. Oh no 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 no! This was after the class with Tina just yeah. a few years ago here yeah. in our neighborhood, and um, yeah, I think there there's that there's a prayer I keep on our yeah. refrigerator that says this. It says, "Lord, see in them what I cannot see. Mm. Lord, bring to light what I do not know." Lord, teach them of what I am not aware. Lord, whisper to them what I've forgotten. Lord, warn them of what I have omitted. Lord, be for them what I cannot be. Lord, love them for you are all they need. And that has given me a lot of freedom as well, recognizing like I am not going to be everything for them. And, mm -hmm. if, and that's not what I was made to be. Right. I am a part of... Um, their journey and their story and as you said it's a beautiful gift and a unique gift to be someone's parent that's not just like any relationship mm -hmm. but also not putting too much weight in that so as much as we talk about holy parenting I think there's also the sense of recognizing it's not the be all end all yeah. mm -hmm. because I think anytime we put too much of our identity in one thing mm -hmm. that's dangerous yeah. so whether I put too much of my identity as a teacher that's not all of who God made me to be. Right. If I'm only living to be a mother, I don't think that's that's not um, that's not exactly the way 
um, God wants us to live our lives. Mm -hmm. I think there's that sense of recognizing that we can hold things with open hands. Yeah, it would be attempting to fill a role that only God is meant to fill. Absolutely. Like I think it is really yeah. important that Jesus says, call no man father. And it's not that you can't have a dad in this world, but yeah. that we recognize in any form of parenting that we have, that we are only modeling the kind of love that is perfected in God. Yeah. And that we will never reach that, and that's not our goal. We're we're never intended to do that. If anything, our love as a parent should be pointing toward the love of God as parent. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think you said it perfectly there. <laughs> I can't say it better myself. And that's what this all points to, for sure. So I'm curious if there, we've talked about so many different things, if there are any things that just occur to you that we've either like missed or mm -hmm. that you might want to... Like, if we're approaching it from a different lens, um, that might be interesting to, to touch on that we, haven't, uh, that we haven't picked up from our questions. Some final words of wisdom? Yeah, well, it, they don't necessarily need to be final. Like, this is probably the last question, but, but more of, um, you know, it, are there interesting insights if we pause and say, what might we have missed if we think about this from a race lens or... Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just curious if, if we pause and think, mm -hmm. this has been a phenomenal conversation. Are there things that either you would want to say like, oh, right, this is a big thing that we just like haven't touched on yet. Mm -hmm. Or if there's mm -hmm. some big like questions that maybe might remain unanswered. Um... Okay, so I could go on a couple of different paths with that. It's very, very open. Very open. <laughs> the floor is yours. Um, so I'll go two different paths. You can do what you will with it. So one is I remembered this this morning. I got up and I remembered some wisdom I've gotten from other parents. And that's another thing that's been super helpful. So this was an email that really um, encouraged me from a friend I... I was a camp counselor with her in the early 90s. Is that and the one where the song came from? Yes, yes. So Byron's referring to these bedtime songs mm -hmm. that um, we have sung to the kids over the years. And thankfully, when Byron lived here, it actually sounded good. But um, I mean, he would sing, I don't know. Can we sing it at some point? <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe we could end with that, Byron. But um, anyway, this was... An email that she sent and I just want to read it and I think you'll see where I'm going with it so she talked about um, most people assume that because my life isn't rosy right now I should or must feel angry or disappointed or abandoned by God but what I feel is blessed I felt him walk with me through this path holding me from the bottom giving me hope this analogy I've thought of is the analogy I've thought of is my relationship with my daughter she can be so volatile, so moody, and prone to great fits of frustration and anger. Mm -hmm. While this most often frustrates and often angers me, it's also in those moments when she is most unable to help herself or control herself or find her center that I feel most the blessing of parenthood. For when I get to hold her, discipline her, love on her in the midst of her worst moments, most people, adult to adult, don't put up with that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. But I have the privilege of holding her and saying that I love her even in the midst of all those times. And God's entrusted me to help shape who she is. Those are moments 
when I feel like my love for her, marked often with some discipline or firmness, has the greatest ability to help her be herself, to find what she what is truly herself, to hold her through the whirling of emotions. It's fun to be a mom when the kids are happy and Sienna is full of hugs and love and play, but I most cherish those moments when I'm her rock and I hold her from flying off into the cosmos unfettered and happy. And that's how I see God holding me when I feel like I might come apart, stroking my hair and saying, shh, it will be okay. Just let rest and let the moment pass. So I wanted to mention that. These are words from my friend Jennifer Hansen and an email that I dug up from 2006. I mean, it was forever ago. These kids of hers are, are grown um, now. But I remember that being really important because many of the things I've talked about have been very... Um, uh, pictures of a lot of the positive parts of parenting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is the sense of some of those places where it is just hard. And yet the ways that that is part of the privilege, you don't always feel it and it can just be exhausting, but recognizing that not everyone would be that uh, raw, vulnerable, right with you. Yeah. Um, and and the burden sometimes we feel when we've seen our kids in places that are um, they're going through hard times. So there's a prayer that I would say to the kids every day when they used to actually leave the house. You know, it feels like no one leaves anymore. Um, but it, the, the prayer is a Celtic prayer, and it says, May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. It's a mouthful. Byron has heard it when he lived here and he would leave and I would say it to him sometimes or leave it in his lunch or whatever, you know. But um, but I remember when Anna was um, beginning of her junior year when it was really stressful mm-hmm. and just the thinking about college and classes and she was doing a ton with her dance studio and I remember thinking the advantage of that prayer is that she hears it all the time mm-hmm. the disadvantage is that it may go in one ear and out the other that she hears it all the time right and so um, I remember going for a run that day and thinking about the the sense of my like mama bear heart mm-hmm. of like I will not stand for her having a year that is just marked by anxiety mm-hmm. like it's just it's not going to happen. Right. And I had that picture of Gandalf, you know, standing on the the, um, <laughs> the precipice. Bridge of <laughs> yes, <laughs> where he stands there and he's like, "You will not pass." Mm. Right. And I had My that Gandalf. sense, like, yeah. I think that there are those times as parents wow. we stand there for the sake of our kids, mm. and we we are able to pray for peace. And this is not just a peace that you cross stitch on a pillow or paint on a poster. Like this is serious, calming the waves, peace, like calm the storm, you know? And the sense that we also, we have this privilege of being with them in spaces when they're in these vulnerable, raw places. We also have this privilege to get to stand in the gap for them Mm -hmm. and to pray for them Mm -hmm. um, that that there can be um, there can be restoration and wholeness and freedom, um, partly because we so want them to flourish. Like we want that so much for our kids. So I think just the ways that parenting calls us for such a range of things, just the small like 
joys and fun things, but then the like depth of this is hard to nurture a little soul and want the best for them and it doesn't always go well. And just the, like I mentioned, just that mama bear heart that plays into it. Um, but again, you know, coming back to what we talked about at the beginning, it's God is shaping us. God is shaping our kids. We're, we're, the, we're in the rock tumbler. We're all in this together. And so I think that's, that's another thing I would share is just it's hard in, in an hour to, right. as we're talking, to get to all the aspects. But, but again, trying to be real with it of like there are, it is a roller coaster <laughs> and it is not for the weak of heart, you know. And so um, that is why it is so beautiful that we do have a community to lean on, that we have God's um, God's heart that we get to lean into and depend on for help and grace and courage and all those things that we need. Love that. That's beautiful. There you go. Would you want to sing with us? Oh yeah. The the (laughs) good night song? Sure. If if you lead. Okay. 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 So here's the thing. Byron is a wonderful singer. The children kind of laugh because I can be off key, but they didn't care when I was little and So I guess we can do this. So little background, I worked at a camp called Yosemite Sierra Summer Camp. And this is what we sang to the campers. Question, that didn't happen to be through the um, Christian Ministry in National Parks, was it? No, it wasn't. It was one in a little camp in Bass Lake, home of the world's greatest campers, apparently. That was part of our our thing. Where all the kids are above average. We'll be gone. <laughs> so anyway, we were asked, you know, we sang this to sure. the kids and these were not little kids. These were middle school and high school kids. So right. I thought, well, when our kids were little, we sang this to them. And then we also sang Zephaniah 317. We'll do both. We'll do both. Okay, you ready? Yeah. The time has come for us to say that this has been a lovely day. And God's Spirit dwelling in your heart Won't be leaving cause the sun goes down So have a good night Have a good night Have a good night Have a good night Our sweet child The Lord our God is with you. He is mighty to save. The Lord will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you if you could only hear his voice you would hear the lord rejoice rejoicing over you rejoicing over you rejoicing over you with singing you always make me sound better you sound wonderful by, by yourself. But I feel like I'm going to fall asleep it's now. Enjoy. I love particularly that the song has the potential. It has a weird rhythm. Yeah. Like, it's got no particular meter. 
Yeah. And it can just get slower and yeah. quieter. Yeah. I've sung that song at almost every like youth group retreat oh. to the kiddos in, in the dorms and whatever. So, I love it. Well, the message is kind of what I wanted it's so to good. say my whole parenting of just the sense of, yeah, the Lord is with our kiddos. Mm-hmm. He, God delights in them and loves them, mm-hmm. period. So take that as you uh, go throughout your day. Beloved, may you find wonder in the mundane, hope amidst the chaos, and comfort in the love that makes you you. Go in peace.